Welcome back to Talking Lead. This is episode 89, kind of, sort of. 89 redone. Yeah. As y'all noticed, last week we didn't have an episode. But really, we did. <laughs> I was on the road with my new career field, and um, we tried to record through Skype into our recording program, and it didn't turn out too well at all. Yeah. <laughs> we it, tried all kinds of like different programs. We spent like an hour programs. trying to figure it out and recording yeah. through my computer, recording through your computer. and it was Then we had, went ahead and winged it. <laughs> And the winging it didn't work out too well. It was a great show, though. Yeah, we'll probably... It was an awesome show. <laughs> we may, at some point, reach into the Talking Lead archives and re-release it. I don't know if it's as bad as you say it is. I don't know that I'll play it for you afterwards. It's, pretty, it's okay. pretty rough. <laughs> Maybe we'll cut in a clip toward the end, let you guys hear it. Uh, something. Anyways. Yeah. So what'd you do with guns this week? Well, what did I do? Oh, my buttstock came in. I ordered the uh, Ace SOCOM buttstock. You like it? I love it. You shot with it yet? I haven't. I haven't okay. shot shot it yet, but uh, I put it on. I was going to put it on my Troy, mm-hmm. and um, the what do you call it? Damn it! The the plate. The f- talking about the the nut? No, where you clip your um, single point slings on the face plate. Yeah, is that what's called? Uh, anyway, whatever the f- that is. <laughs> <clears throat> It was too thick, so I couldn't get it on the the Troy. So I ended up putting it on too thick. That's what she said. Yeah, well, she usually Maybe. says that it's too thick. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I put it on Two Face. So Two Face has a new butt stock. Nice. And uh, I'll probably take it out this week sometime and and give her a little run through the mill. But it's a nice the little SoCom. It's the eight inch, just out to nine and a half inches. Uh, they're made for breaching doors. I mean, they're super reinforced, sturdy. Mm-hmm. And the the bottom of them look like a meat cleaver, so I, you could probably tenderize your meat too while you're, you know, out in the field. <laughs> I don't want to hear about you tenderizing your I don't meat with a think butt that's stock. what it was uh, intended for. That's kind of weird. Yeah, but I've got um, I've got some plates ordered for my T three plate carrier, mm-hmm. uh, and I went to Bowtatch and I got the, the I guess the the soft plates. They had a they got a deal in there where you can name your own price, like Priceline. It's like, if you don't like their price, then you can make them an offer. That's pretty cool. And I made them an offer, and they accepted it. I was like, there's no way they're going to accept this offer. But I shot it to them, and they're like, yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Do they okay. do that with guns, too? <laughs> I don't think their guns have that option. Crap. But they might. I oh, didn't well. I didn't look. But I mean, Brilliant they, idea, though. But they don't charge so, any shipping, either. So, I mean, it's their prices are usually lower than anybody, anyway. Uh, and then they don't charge shipping on top of that, and of course there's no taxes if you're out of. So this out of is this is like Priceline for body armor, is what this is. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. It's for everything. <laughs> I mean, they've got anything and everything. Um, they got clothes. They've got accessories for your guns. They sell guns, um, eye protection, ear protection, everything. They got it all. It's called Botach Tactical. It's a funky it's pretty, name. It's pretty, pretty cool. I'll, I'll have to check it out. And I, you know, I got to be honest that I was like. When they came out with Priceline and Expedia and all that stuff back in the day, I was a little apprehensive about it. But mm-hmm. yeah. I use Expedia for everything now. I mean, I travel a fair amount. I stay in hotels a fair amount. I rent cars a fair amount. So I always use Expedia for everything. But I do have to say that when I book things through Expedia, I don't always quite get the room that I wanted. Or I don't always get this. I get terrible seats on flights sometimes. Right. And they don't ever have the car that I actually wanted. 
And I'm just wondering if, like, you order plates for your body armor and you name your price, are you actually getting, like... Yeah, you get exactly what... Yeah, you get exact Because they're, you know, it's a brand and it's a size and it's a color, you know. And if if there's options available to, to pick, you can, you know, pick those. But, yeah, you get exactly what it what what you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. WYSIWYG? Yeah, what you nice. see is what you get. Well, me, with my new career, which we announced it on episode 89 original <laughs> before yeah. this in 89. So in uh, case you guys don't know, Zeke is with Sonoran Desert Institute. Yes. He is Dean. He wears his little his little cap and gown around Yeah, <laughs> my, uh, Yeah, I've been walking around here. with my pipe and, you know, a big, nice, you know, Drinking his sports coat with the... With the uh, with the patches on the elbow, <laughs> his his tactical robe. Now I am now the department chair for the School of Firearms Technology at Sonoran Desert Institute. So last week I got the tra- applause. Tra- <laughs> <laughs> so last week I was in Oklahoma. I went and hung out with uh, Jeremiah Savoie, Savoie Leather, and we did some stuff with Two Vets Arms for the school, and got to shoot the three hundred eight. That left hand made. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't make the products. I make them better. <laughs> so we all we've all heard about left hand breaking the prototype three hundred eight that Two Vets Arms has, and because of him breaking it, they had to do some extra R and D, and that thing is a beauty, man. It runs like a top. It's awesome. Well, you know, I do what I can when I can, where yeah. I can. <laughs> so that was my week, and. We've already heard our guest. We'll go ahead and introduce him now, Mister Vincent Beckles. With Mesa Kinetic Research. What's up, man? What's going on, guys? How y'all doing today? That is research at the end of Mesa Kinetic, right? Yeah, it's research. Okay, I'm just making sure. MCR? It, it, it'd be MKR, but yes. MKR. Well, he's educated in Tennessee like me. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I didn't know what an algorithm was until you explained it to me a little while ago. So <laughs> um, there we go. We're all even playing field. There you go. That'll work. <laughs> so what's uh, going on with you gun-wise this week? Oh, man, this week, let me think. Um, man, working on guns, living the dream. Um, took in a few new projects. Uh, we do a lot with the, um, we, we call it the AKS-92U. Basically, as everyone knows, you've had the uh, the importation of those Yugo PAP M92 pistols for the last few years. Mm-hmm. I know the market's kind of uh, dropped on them recently, but there, there's a fair amount in circulation. And there's a lot of people that are doing them into short-barreled rifles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the pleasure of getting one back when I think they retailed for about three fifty, about I don't know, uh, three four years ago, and you know I decided I was going to that I don't like underfolding stocks, that I didn't want to just bolt an A stock with a hinge on the back, and that I wanted something a little cooler. Uh, we started doing them with the triangle side folding, you know, Bulgarian or Russian style stocks. And one thing I ran into early on with uh, my own personal conversion was that the receiver on mine was a little softer than I'd like to register as an NR or NFA firearm. And, you know, you go through all that paperwork. Um, you don't want a gun that's a 5,000-round gun. You want a gun that's a lifetime gun. Um, so what, we, what we've been doing with them is a package where you provide your PAP pistol. We go ahead and demill it, use it as a front-end um, uh, your, uh, Yugoslavian M92 kit. But we mill down the bottom of the uh, front trunnion so that it'll accept the side folder latch. We rebuild it on a NODAC or a 74 ULLC receiver. And basically, um, it kind of comes out, you know, like a Kyber Pass AKM, except for with a 10-inch barrel. So it's it's basically a um, – I'm not going to say it's a poor man's crank because uh, it's definitely a, a, an expensive process. 
Um, you know, if you were just to order one from us, you'd be looking at about 2,500. That's if you don't provide anything yourself. Mm. Um, but that's, you know, we use Krebs selectors, Nodak and 74 ULLC receivers. Um, we refinish all the wood, slick all the components. It comes out to be a pretty sweet shooting little piece. Um, and that's, uh, been working on some of that stuff this week. Let me think. Um, we actually just, um, my shop's located next to a motorcycle shop, uh, Kawasaki Yama or Kawasaki Suzuki shop. So, uh, the parts guy over there, he passed away about a year ago and, uh, his, uh, his wife has been bringing in some of his old collection that had been stored in, uh, definitely less than ideal climate controlled conditions since he passed away. Mm. Some old, uh, 1800s Enfields, um, some trapdoor Springfields. M1 Garands, 1903, some uh, uh, M1917, Smith & Wesson 45 ACP revolvers. And we've basically been doing full antique cleanings and, you know, cleaning, uh, preservation cleanings on those. Basically, is more of a favor to the family than anything else. But that that's something I kind of got, um, it's a whole other story of how I got involved in that. But early on in my gunsmithing career, uh, we had a little uh, incident called Hurricane Katrina. So I got well-versed <laughs> yeah. in... Uh, in salvaging things that had been stored in the worst of possible climates involving salt water, high humidity, mud, uh, all types of things like that. So get in the refurbishing business. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is, I mean, with a lot of that stuff you want to, you know, you don't necessarily want to refurbish it in terms of you're not trying to refinish it. You are trying to say to stop all active rust without taking the patina, which is oftentimes inactive rust off the rifle and get it into museum presentation condition by, you know, at the same time, removing any mildew, mold, active rust, all things that are, uh, you know, affecting the value. And that goes for both the wood and the actual metal on the firearm. So we've been spending a fair amount of the week taking care of some of his, um, uh, you know, his legacy that he's leaving to his son and um, working on some of the AKS 92 stuff. I've been setting up my own personal, um, I have a 545 uh, M16 short barrel full auto that I uh, that I put together from uh, Smith and w- basically took a Smith and Wesson M&P 545 when they uh, did those a few years back, cut it down to 12 inches, did it as a post sample machine gun, put one of our flash hiders on it, um, and I've been rigging that out to uh, take to the Haley Strategic uh, D3 Carbine Vehicle Darkness course here at the end of the month in Victoria, <laughs> Texas. Um, so, why, why is it our guests always trump our weekend guns? <laughs> We're sitting here with our jaws on the ground going, damn, nice. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to understand, man, that this is absolutely 100% what I do for a living, like yep. seven days seven days a week. So a lot of it's just how I make my money. Yep. And, um, when it comes to stuff, you know, I try to take a, you know, I'm a big fan of, I'm not going to say a fanboy because I know the guy personally, and I really do respect his teaching method, but I am a, um, a fan of Travis Haley's teaching method and the, the psych, you know, the, the, um, the biomechanics and the psychology of his teaching method. And it's okay. I you can one- be a fanboy. It's okay. It's, no, I mean, it's fine. It's, I'll put it this way. It's, totally it's acceptable. <laughs> Fanboy means that you freaking hold somebody on a pedestal that you've never met just because they're famous. Yeah. And 
Yeah. Actually, you know, there, there, there really is two different things, man. Fanboys are dudes that make it awkward when you meet them. Right. Like, I like the dude that makes a good pizza down the street. I'm not a fanboy. I just respect the fact that he can make a good pizza. There you, you go. Know? You eat his pizza from now. If from somebody watched his TV commercial and had never met him and never ate his pizza, but just thought he was the greatest thing in the world because he was on TV, I think that would be a fanboy. But yeah, no, I, I try to make it out to one of Travis's classes every year, and that basically... Man, that's that's literally like my vacation, I guess. Because I do take a family vacation once a year, but other than that, that's really my only vacation. That and shot show, and both of those are technically business things because you're networking the whole time you're there. Yeah. So they become justifiable write-offs that can kind of be, uh, I don't know. It, it's part work, part play, part vacation, part freaking work write-off and networking experience. So yeah, we're I'm learning how to do that. Yeah. What's, what's that? <laughs> so we're learning how to do that, how to how to work our vacations as work vacations, and therefore we can write them off. Yeah, last year it shot. Oh, my. <laughs> I think by the time we got to you. That was a freaking workout, dude. Oh, went my a vacation. God. See, nobody really told us how it was set up, so we were just scheduling appointments with people. You know, do videos here, do interviews there, and... But then we get there, and like one was in the bottom floor on one end, and the next one was on the third floor at the opposite end. We were running oh, around. That, was that y'all's first year at Chacho? Yeah, that yeah, was our first man. shot. We, oh, it, it's a mess, dude. It, it, it's um, you know, I was doing a you know booth appearances with a few different companies, and they were on different days, but still, it's like, you know, shoot. I'd be one day I'd be like right by the front door if I needed to like run outside and grab a cigarette or something. Then the next day I'd be on the freaking basement on the opposite end, and I got lost just like walking to get a water. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that wasn't my first shot show. It's just it was the first time that I'd ever been to shot where I had scheduled appointments where I had to be certain places, certain times. And I, this year, man, I, I'm going out for like the last two days. This year, I'll be in like Wednesday afternoon. I'm gonna fly in and go to the Rifle Dynamics party that night. And hit the show floor Thursday and Friday, but I'm really trying not to go with an agenda this year because it, I don't know, man. It, it, it can turn something really fun into something horribly stressful really quickly. Sure. Well, the, which is what we did this last year. Yeah. We're just gonna wing it. There's some stuff I'll probably. Do, but, um, I did an interview with some other freaking guys when I was there. That was like, uh, they. I was at the Midwest Industries booth on Thursday. And these guys just walked up, and they're like, it was like tactical TV or some crap, and they just walked up with a microphone and a video camera, and they're like, hey, will you do a quick interview? I'm like, yeah. And they were just walking from booth to booth. Hey, will you do an interview? And like, I was thinking to myself, dude, if that's how I was doing it, that's what I would do. Is yeah. just walk booth that's to booth. how we did NRA, the yeah. first NRA yeah. show. That's how we, were, we did it. Yeah, because appointments at SHOT Show is like the worst idea ever, because it's like, I don't know, man, it's the whole... Are you there? Hello? NSA's got us. Hang on. Let me pause this. They found <laughs> I don't you know if hang up on me. For no, I think reason. the NSA jacked us or something. I don't know. Dude, if you guys don't want to talk to me, you can just like tell me to shut up and I'll just listen think, to y'all. You don't have to hang up. I think Skype's turning into Facebook and they're monitoring uh, their content. Right? Mom's Demand Bedroom Action or something got after us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can we talk about that lady for a minute? Is she off limits? You no. know, we haven't put her on the jack wagon train. Well, let's, let's put her on Sh the jack wagon Sh train. Sh Shannon Watts was on the jack wagon train? No, but okay. she's about to be let's, right now. Let's do that. So now let's do our jack wagon. Hey, Ralph, Semper Fi, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week, so brace yourself, baby. All right, so this week, thanks to Vince, we're going to throw, what's her name again, Shannon? I think it's Shannon Watts, isn't it? Yeah, what's yeah, yeah. What's Shannon the Watts. organization called? It's Mom's Demand Action, but it okay. is Shannon Watts. Wow. And then it, it, the, the organization is basically 
Isn't it funded by Bloomberg? Oh, I'm sure he's got something to do with it. I'm pretty sure it is. And it's run okay. by her. What's your take it's, on her? <laughs> I, I don't even know who's funding it, dude. I'm sure that there's um, people out there that could figure that out. But what, is, is it Moms Demand Action Hour or is it Every Town for Gun Safety Action Fund? Which one is it? I, I can't Moms Demand Action is still um, up and going. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it started off, I mean, it started off on Facebook or whatever, grew to freaking be an actual lobbyist group. And, you know, I just got to. Uh, I got to wonder about somebody who spent their entire career involved with a company like Monsanto suddenly caring so much about um, the safety of children. Really? I had She was involved with Monsanto? Shannon Watts? Yeah. That's my understanding. And I will go ahead and I will pull some facts real quick. Wow. Y'all can talk amongst yourselves and I will freaking. Shannon uh, Watts is a 42 year old mother of five children. Mm-hmm. Two stepdaughters, 23 and 19, two daughters, 17 and 16, and a 12-year-old son. For Good the past Lord five Jesus. years, Miss Watts has been a stay-at-home mom in Zionsville, a suburb of Indianapolis, Indiana. Prior to that, she had a 15-year career as a communications executive for both agencies and corporations. Doesn't say which Doesn't ones. Doesn't say which ones. Uh, we'll find that out real quick because I am yeah. almost 100% yeah. sure. Miss Watts was not an activist or involved in gun control prior to the shootings at Sandy Hook on December 14th. Wow. So she started the same time we did. Aw. Aw. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's um, backed by Bloomberg. And what was that other that uh, town, what was the other name that he was saying? Every town for some kind of crap, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, that like bombed really big, so I think they, they nixed that. That well, name and, anyway, and then they reincarnated as something else. And Mom's Demand Action is starting to flop, too, because apparently she didn't background check a lot of the employees that they were hiring. <laughs> and there was, like, convicted felons and crap on, on their staff. It is crazy. Okay, here we go, man. I got it. Right? Right. This, is off, this is off of Shannon Watts' own LinkedIn, okay? This is her personal page with all of her, you know, background on it. From 1998 to 2001... She was the vice president for corporate and public affairs for Fleischman Hillard. It says what her duties were directed seven member team that identified and managed issues and crises for clients, including Monsanto Company, BP Amico, Bayer Corporation, Firestone, McDonald's, Applebee, Purdue Pharma, Osco, BASF, and Hallmark. So... If you want to talk about freaking wow. oil rigs blowing up in the Gulf of Mexico and spilling oil all along the coastline of the place that I live, or poisoning our children with freaking chemicals and fast food, or poisoning you know the third world in America with uh, you know genetically modified corn, then let's talk about you know you need to. Freaking but moms don't care about like stuff like that. Mom, they just care, care about, about firearms. Wow. Okay, how, how about Firestone <laughs> Tires that blew up on all those explorers 10 or 15 years ago? She was representing them in the freaking era where they were Firestone Tires were blowing up on Ford Explorers. So it says she was a she was the PR person then, right? Um, That's that's the way it looks. Directed seven-member team that identified Dude, and managed so issues. She's not an attorney for them? No, well, so, so this is what that's telling me because Bloomberg tied in with them with his billions of dollars trying to get rid of guns. And basically she was the spin doctor for all these crappy companies that were doing all this crappy stuff. To That's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Is it so, for, you know, 
So he went after, okay, let's see the most crappy companies who can spend them to look good. Let's get Shannon Watts. Yeah. Or, or at least her, she was vice president corporate and public affairs for Fleischman Hillard, which she's a spin meister, which which managed in fricking, uh, managed issues and crises for clients. That sounds like spin doctor stuff to me, or at least sweeping stuff under the rug or handling the legal affairs of people that are being sued for wrongdoing. It's one of those things. And this is off of her own LinkedIn, man. If you go to uh, Shannon Watts LinkedIn, it's straight at the top. It says founder of mom's demand action for gun sense in America, Indianapolis, Indiana area. Uh, went to uh, University of Missouri, Columbia, and it goes down, and you know it, it lists stuff in uh, in order. And let's see, she was also um, a freelance senior consultant and counselor for Fleischman Hillard from November 2010 to June of 2012. So she's worked with the same company that you know represented Monsanto and McDonald's and whatnot uh, years after she initially left it. Let's see, Vox Public Relations. She was there for a few years. Um, does not list their client base for that, but it seems like she's pretty much been, uh, let's see, she worked for a, uh, director for global communications at GE healthcare. Um, yeah, she's basically been a Spin career doctor. manager of chaos <laughs> of dealing with public crap and companies that have problems because they do shady crap. That's what it looks like to me. That's kind of um, scary. That's yeah. That's yeah. well. That's how can crazy. she be a stay-at-home mom if she's doing all that stuff? Well, that's the because, person because she's spinning seen, it that way. <laughs> haven't you watched? Haven't you watched the Real Housewives of like New Jersey? No, <laughs> I haven't. That's, that, that's what the stay-at-home mom in America is considered nowadays. Is somebody who, you know, she works from an office at home, drops her kids off in daycare in the morning, or hires a nanny um, to take care of her kids while she pursues some kind of corporate career from home. That's a stay-at-home mom in the eyes of the elitists nowadays. Granted, a real stay-at-home mom, somebody like my wife that has four children, two of which she homeschools full-time and takes care of full-time. So that's a stay-at-home mom. This lady's not a stay-at-home mom. She's a corporate consultant that, uh, you know, that is parading as your average suburban housewife when she's actually, you know, represented multiple companies that have probably caused more uh, chaos, death, and cancer amongst the children of America and the third world than firearms ever have. Well, here's what's awesome. So everybody listening needs to go to her LinkedIn, post it on all your social media, because if it needs to get out there that this is the woman that spun, you know, possibly her, but she worked for a company that spun the BP oil spill to make BP. Look how awesome they are. They're helping all the locals in Louisiana and Mississippi by giving them food while they clean up birds. Yeah, yeah, but I still can't. I, I, you know, I live sixty miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and I still can't order oysters because of the contamination. There's, wow. there's still, there's still freaking teams coming from all over the country to harvest oysters on the Gulf Coast and test them for petroleum contaminants. So yeah, that's the type of person. I'm not saying it doesn't look like she worked for that company directly at the point in time when the BP oil spill happened. But she worked for the com- a company that represented BP in you know managed their issues and crises for clients on a regular basis, and she certainly worked did work for Monsanto, Bayer, Firestone, McDonald's, Applebee's. I don't know how Applebee's fits into that, dude. I didn't know Applebee's had like a big crisis <laughs> issue, like oil spills or kids being born with a third testicle or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> it makes me not want to eat at Applebee's. And guess what? I don't think you can carry a gun in Applebee's either, so I don't need to eat that. They had to do a spin when they had that uh, spiked-haired chef guy that was – was that Something. Applebee's? <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, we've also got another. We're going to dub this person a tentative jack wagon. He's kind of back there on the, the somebody hand who's cart. getting groomed. Who, who's getting groomed for the jack wagon train? He's on the hand cart. We're kind on of his way. we're kind of CYA in it, and we're going to call this gentleman. Uh, let's say Phil Bladen. You know, uh, so we're just going to call him that, Phil Bladen. So we can't call him. His, we can't call him his real name. I think everybody's going to get Hill, it. Hill Waden. How about Hill Waden? Hill Waden. There yeah. you go. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah, we're just covering our ass. <laughs> I okay. think everybody gets it, though. Hey, he's a public figure in the news, man. This That's is a true. news program, and we're, it, it is protected by press laws, man. So, yeah. so he <laughs> he's strongly alleged to have, with lots of <laughs> lots of evidence. Yeah. So well, we have somebody here that, if if you don't recognize his name and voice, he was associated with the TV show Sons of Guns. Vince was... What, what should we call you? Because they didn't make you out to be as smart as you actually are in real life. Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I had an actual title title on the show besides I mean, I was, I was a ca- original cast member of the show and a cast member for the entire time. Uh, you were yeah. the badass that got every, to ride off in the sunset. Yeah, everybody... On the I mean, he's very recognizable. He's got the long beard. He's got the tats. He rode the motorcycles. And he's the one who... You know, call bullshit on them all the time. <laughs> when there be <being> yeah, dumbasses. <laughs> uh, I did have a habit of, man, the reason I called bullshit all the time was because there was so much smoke being blown up the cameraman's asses by Will all the time that any <laughs> chance I had to call bullshit on him where he'd look dumb on camera, I mean, he was just such an asshole all the time that. You just couldn't pass think, the opportunity, could you? Hey, oh, dude, you can't pass <laughs> You know, you're filming for 12 or 18 hours some days. And this dude just being a complete douche all day on and off camera, I can't pass up the opportunity to make you look dumb when you won't even realize you look dumb until somebody mentioned it to you after the episode aired. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that goes back to the first season where he uh, he wanted me to do a put a freaking Krieger barrel on an AK, which was ridiculous. And uh, he's like, yeah, just go ahead and chamber that out, Vinny. And I'm like, hey, you got a depth micrometer? Knowing full well I had one in my toolbox and knowing full well that he didn't know what one was and he was already in a bad mood that morning, I figured I would make him look really dumb on TV because he'd just been an asshole all day. Um, but yeah, man, as, as far as him being on the, um, in line for the jack wagon train, he's definitely in, in the court of, and, and there is a lot to be said for the court of public opinion when, the, when, when the public has been exposed to a fair amount of the evidence, because everybody says innocent until proven guilty. And that's fine in a court of law. That's not my responsibility as an individual citizen to presume somebody innocent. That's if I was sitting on his jury, it would be my responsibility. Um, I, have definitely presumed him guilty based on evidence that I've seen. And I would say that in the court of public opinion, he's convicted and sitting, waiting on the tree, 310 to Yuma to the jack wagon train. <laughs> we, just, uh, we just need to get him there, man. Um, no, that's, it's all, all personal feelings aside with that entire case. You know, and and I, actually, I spoke with Stephanie, his daughter, last night. And, um, you know, I actually, I, t- I told her, I said, what makes me feel bad about this whole thing is that I spent the last three years of my life sometimes second guessing my decisions about how I ended my relationships with some of those people. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought that maybe sometimes I had uh, overreacted to some things that Will had said, um, that I, you know, you just, you do something that's very extreme and you second guess it sometimes. And you know, my life has been better since then and I'm glad I left and it was the right choice, but I always felt bad about some of the relationships that got damaged um, in the process of that. And I didn't understand why some of the relationships got damaged when I didn't think I did anything wrong with certain people. Yeah. And 
you know, it basically turns out Will had told a bunch of lies to Joe and Chris and Stephanie. Um, and, and honestly, the, the relationship between me and Chris and Stephanie and Joe, everybody's on good terms now, man. Particularly ever since a lot of the truth has come out about Will. Right. We're, all on good, we're, we're all on good terms with That's one That's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, has this, you know, made you guys reevaluate your relationships? And are they getting, you know, have you, have you mended those fences? Yeah, we really have, man. And it was really Will that was standing in the way of that because he would tell Chris I, I felt some way about him. He, he He's a sociopath in the truest sense of the word, and he enjoys playing God. And I think that's what he really liked about the television show, is he would, but he would try to like live his real life as if it was the television show. And he, he would try to pit everybody against one another so that we would never talk about the real issues like how much money is Will Hayden stealing from the company that he doesn't even own mm-hmm. that me and Joe and Charlie owned and Stephanie owned a significant financial portion of, but no, no actual control of the company. How much money is he stealing from the company? How many, how, you know, how many of our talent fee checks for TV have gone to another bank account with Will's name on it that never got seen by our company. There was a lot of and just that- guessing. I would assume that that's probably something that's going to come to light as well. Well, and I, I honestly think that there's really no good way to get justice in the whole matter because the money that was stolen was spent. It's not mm-hmm. like he's sitting on it. Um, and, it, you know, the way it looks is the way it looks is he will spend the rest of his life in Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. And that's where he belongs for, um, you know, for any, anybody that uh, yeah. that molests children, let alone rapes children, let alone rapes their own blood, you know, their mm-hmm. own blood daughter there is a special place for them on a prison farm in the South. And uh, I hope they find that special place for them. Oh. However, uh, the, the, we could figure, <laughs> my figures is that he looted over a half a million dollars um, oh, Lord. from, from the company. Wow. Um, that that's, that's my figures on it. And if you count the fact that a TV show was going to six seasons, we just started filming season six and you got to figure that most shows that go to six go to ten on Discovery. Mm-hmm. Then, personally, what he looted from me and my family on future talent fees for that show was uh, approaching half a million dollars. So there's that matter. There's the matter that he's, um, you know, that it looks like he's completely guilty. There's multiple, you know, I, I can't get into the evidence, but he's guilty. I'll put right, it that way. I've right. seen the evidence. I've seen the police reports. I can't throw anything out there that's going to give his lawyer any chance to well if things keep going obviously the way they're going he's going to be on the jack wagon train if not right up there next to diane feinstein we can throw him on the jack wagon train for being a douchebag to you guys (laughs) yeah well i mean he's that's why he's on the hand cart on his way there yeah so Uh, you know i think his permanent spot shouldn't necessarily be on the jack wagon train it should be the guy in the striped jumpsuit chained to the guy next to him, hoeing radishes in the field, waving at the jack wagon train going by. <laughs> the jack wagon train is going better places than he is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We may have to create a new a new spot. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I like that idea. The Angola but chain gang. Let me let me ask you this. I mean, because of you know the show was so popular, you know the, the concept of it. it is there any talks? Are you guys maybe doing something similar, a spinoff or something? Or can you talk about it? If you can't talk about it, I understand. Yeah, no. There's been um, there's been creative talks with, an, you know, a couple of different companies involving a future project. Uh, nothing is, you know, nothing on paper and nothing. You know, it, it takes a while to develop something like that. Sons of Guns was a process that took the better part of a year and a half from yeah. the time that it initially got discussed to the time that it actually started filming. And mm-hmm. so you figure two years from the time you start talking about it till it airs. 
so there's been some discussion, but I mean, it, it, th this whole thing was a, um, you know, I don't know what kind of financial hit Discovery or the production company took, but I got to imagine it was huge because, you know, they, they, we, we were two or three episodes into filming a new season and bang, this, th these kind of allegations come out and this kind of evidence comes out. So I got to imagine there was a huge financial hit taken by these companies. And while, you know, networks do have a fair amount of money, mm -hmm. you know, a financial hit to you or me, maybe you lose a thousand dollars. Um, a financial hit to these people could be losing $10 million right. in a course of overnight, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's exactly. going to be a lot of people that are real gun shy about picking up a show about a family owned gun business or, a, you know, it, they've just had a, um, just don't bring back gun smoke. <laughs> well, I mean, American and, guns. Well, here's the thing with, with the, the sons of guns and I'm speaking from personal, when I watch it, you know, I wasn't watching it to see to see Will. I mean, it was everybody else that was around. It was you guys, you know, that brought the personality, that brought the, you know, the whole soul to the show. That's what it was, you know. So and if he'd have left uh, after season one, that show still would have been very successful. Here's the thing is that there's, there's people that sit in offices on either coast of this country that make a lot of money to decide on what the American people are going to watch. It's a, um, they, they like the Will Hayden personality. They like that larger than life. I'm a freaking tough guy slash I'm a douchebag slash I'm a freaking Southern gentleman, whatever. But yeah. that image got freaking crushed and destroyed. And it's going to, I think it's going to be a while before you see somebody wanting to bring back that type of show. Cause it left a terribly bad taste in the mouths of these, you know, TV executives. I don't know for a fact that they feel that way, but I got to imagine that's how they feel because of the way this whole thing went down. So we'll see. I mean, I, I would really like, there's a couple of specials I would like to film when I say special, like, you know, like a 90 minute documentary sure. type of deal. Mm -hmm. um, a one-off, if you will, uh, but shot somewhat in a reality TV style. Um, not not super artsy in a film style, but not super soap op. You know, not not a docu soap, but an actual you know documentary type of deal. I would like to go to um, you know one of these uh, one of these colonial blacksmithing gunsmithing type of shops that they have. Uh, you know, Williamsburg, Virginia, or so somewhere along that nature, where there's a guy that actually smiths rifles in the 1700s or 1800s fashion. Um, fusion welding barrels, yeah. hand rifling barrels with a rifling mandrel on a foot pedal lathe, uh, things of that nature. And <laughs> that would be cool, yeah. I think it'd be cool for like, you know, and I've discussed it with Glenn Fleming, and he showed interest. I think it'd be cool for somebody like me and Fleming to go and, you know, spend three or four weeks with these guys and shoot it as a 90-minute or a two-hour special of, Here's these two guys from the new school world of gunsmithing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know a fair amount about older stuff, but I've never fusion welded my own, you know, rifled musket barrel. And I think that that and learning how to make locks and I do a lot of stock work already, but to make my own stock and finish it with the nitrous That'd be gas. A, the hell of a history channel show right there, yeah. man. That'd, yeah. That'd, and I think it'd be it great to do that. You know, um, it can make it can be a big comeback for Discovery, I think, too, man. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of networks out there that are doing reality stuff that could benefit from something like that because mm -hmm. I think there is a contingency of people out there that definitely want to see 
they want to see it done, dude. They like shows like How It's Made and Modern Marvels and uh, Dirty Jobs. And, yeah, uh, those people roll up their sleeves and get it done. One of our yeah. highest viewed videos on YouTube was the How It's Made we did on the 1911. Yeah. Uh, and it was a 30-minute video, but people freaking love that thing. I've definitely been approached by doing some YouTube stuff. It's just a matter of some of it is so time-consuming. Mm-hmm. And with, with an entire business to run and four kids and a wife, um, it becomes one of those – if I'm going to take two weeks or even a week to like produce something really cool, it's got to come with the regular TV paycheck. Yeah. Otherwise, my company doesn't continue to go on forward and my family doesn't have money. There has to be a regular income from the business. Sure. And for me to remove myself from the business to make TV or to make YouTube videos or whatever it is, there has to be the paycheck that would truly compensate me for it. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of where I've felt fallen short on the YouTube videos because I just don't have the free time to make them for free. I mean, I, I definitely commend the people that do that. That's their hobby. That's their passion. But many of the people that do that heavily aren't actually doing guns all day and have a different career where they punch a clock for somebody else. Yep. And they've got that paycheck and they can use their three or four hours after work every day to, hey, let's make a YouTube video. As a business owner who does guns full time, and as we all know, guns is not the most profitable uh, business out there that I could use my skill set for. Um, I do it for the love, not for the money. So you, you're constant. I think every gun business in America is constantly on the verge of going out of business. It's not that they're like <laughs> yeah. going to close the next day, but you, every gun business in America is constantly on the verge of, hey, we could go out of business. One bad quarter, yeah, and you, you know, you're, get you're shit crazy. That may, that may be any small business, but that's the only small business I've ever owned is guns. So yeah, you're you're constantly you know making sure that you've got paychecks for your employees, that you've got you know groceries at home, that you've got rent paid at the shop, that you've got all your utilities paid at home and at the shop. So I just don't get the time to do the YouTube type of stuff that I would love to do. Um, it's just man, I'm constantly uh, constantly running a business. Sure. Well, you know, and let's let's kind of get off the whole sons of guns thing, leave the negativity in the dust, and I say negativity, negativity, yeah, <laughs> negativity. It's a new the, algorithm. In the, it's an algorithm for negative stuff. And let's yeah, talk about you, man. Let's, take, let's talk about Mesa. So how did you originally get into firearms? How did I originally get into firearms? Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know exactly. Okay, a lot of what I know about it is stories that my dad's told me that I don't necessarily remember all of. But uh, do you guys remember a movie called Man from Snowy River? It was an Australian oh, cowboy yeah. movie. Came uh-huh. out in the early 80s. Yeah. All right, so my dad took me to that when I was a kid. And you guys remember Pez dispensers, right? The little candy dispensers? Yep. Okay, yeah. well, I had a little Jerry from Ben & Jerry, the little mouse Jerry Pez dispenser. Yeah. And I went to go see Man from Snowy River with my dad, and I couldn't have been more than, like, I don't know, three years old, man. It was a 1982 and, uh, movie, so if that helps you. So the the only thing that I remember about uh, the movie really was that the horse took that crazy nosedive off the cliff, and I thought that was crazy. But at some point in time, some guy pulls a gun on the hero in the movie, and I jumped up with my Ben and Jerry pencil dispenser and stretched that thing out like a rifle, and like was ready to freaking go to town with a gunfight with the guys on the screen. <laughs> that, so that was it had, one of my first, had like, Kurt Douglas in it. What's that? It had Kurt Douglas in it. Did it? Yeah. Yeah, Kurt Douglas was in. He was Harrison or Spur. Do you remember that character? I got I to watch that movie again because I don't think I've seen it since I saw it in the theater when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I watched Man from Snowy River 2 and it just wasn't the same. I, I don't think I was the right age and I didn't have my Pez dispenser with me. But uh, <laughs> you got to have that Pez dispenser. Yeah, yeah. really. Uh, oh, I got yeah. a Boba Fett Pez dispenser now. It's pretty freaking sweet, dude. It's like the only one I own. But 
I don't even eat Pez, but it looks good sitting on the shelves. Nice. <laughs> so you're a Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah, dude. Sweet. Uh, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan from like, you know, 1980 and, or 1985 and before. Mm-hmm. I can't yep. say that I really was a big fan of the new movies. The Jar Jar Binks bullshit. Jar Jar Binks was terrible, dude. That's just all it said. <laughs> it was I mean, there was no no good came from that. It was, hey, it was I, bad. I will it say, was, I will say this. I saw something hilarious last night because my son, my three year old son, loves freaking Star Wars. Yeah, and he doesn't want the new ones. He always wants the old ones. Same thing with Superman movies. He only wants to watch the old Christopher Reeves one. He <laughs> really? The new ones. And he's three. So we're watching this new cartoon that Disney has out called the Yoda Chronicles. It's like a Lego cartoon. Okay. So it's it's got a lot of comedy in it too. Well, at one point Darth Vader crashes on Naboo and he 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 like lifts up and then they they flash back to Luke and all them in their little Lego look and they're like, "Yeah, he's not going to like where he landed too much." And all of a sudden Jar Jar Binks pops up and he goes, "Annie, Annie, it's me, Jar Jar Binks." And Darth Vader's like freaking out going, "No." <laughs> so so it's kind of like uh they kind of made fun of themselves with the whole Jar Jar Binks thing with that cartoon, but I was rolling, man. It was hilarious. They they probably should have deleted that entire like Gungan race though, like entirely from the series. They just weren't they <laughs> Just, just Jar Jar. Even the Gungans were okay. It's just Jar Jar was over the, the top. The, the entire episode one, like I saw it in the theater. I lived in East Lansing, Michigan, and I was like, shoot, like nineteen or twenty years old uh, when it came out. I think it was twenty when it came out. And you know, we had a few drinks and then went out to see the uh, see the new Star Wars movie. And the whole time, it's like you know, I'm kind of like you know, the buzz is wearing off, and I'm sitting there like you know. Uh, is this movie supposed to be like horribly racially insensitive and like have a bunch of like bad ethnic freaking accents and like I, I couldn't like think a it, 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 Jamaican it like a, it's a Jamaican accent with that and you had like the Trade Federation guys had these bad like you know kung fu like Hong Kong kung fu movies like white guys overdubbing Asian guys like yeah. stereotypical accents you had the freaking Italian shopkeeper that uh, you know owned Anakin or whatever it was just yeah he had was, the, the short his belly hanging out of his shirt and he's sweaty yeah, and hairy yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it was like you had all the you made these three awesome movies in the early late seventies and early eighties, and you know yeah, the first the one came out in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, I mean, and the weirdest part about that is Carrie Fisher slips in and out of a British accent because she was a classically trained you know she's American that was classically trained in British uh, stage work, so she spoke British half the time. Um, but that was a little strange <laughs> in hindsight. But other than that, man, when they had an alien voice or something. They used subtitles, or the guy just had a weird-sounding voice. They didn't just pick some random some freaking stereotypical ethnic, ethnic accent. Exactly, off. yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't know. It was just—it just seemed like he threw away all the old scripts and just let his kids write it or something. And it was—it was terrible, man. So I, I, I have high hopes for the new ones to some extent, but I really wish they would have given the dude that did District Nine in Elysium. Uh-huh. I wish they would have given him the movies because you could see that his vehicles oh, yeah. are very inspired by the original Star Wars. I mean, District Nine, it, there's a lot of um, influence from the uh, you know Imperial uh, Navy's aircraft and the, uh, right. the Sand Troopers uniforms and everything like that, and even the weapons are very Star Wars influenced. So uh, I would have liked to see him do it, but um, I don't know, man. I guess I got into guns a lot through Star Wars when I was a kid too, man. Um, I developed a huge love for the uh, Sterling submachine gun and the uh, MG34 machine gun without realizing those were actually World War II uh, machine guns. 
to me they were stormtrooper guns, but yeah. I really liked those they as a kid. Were, yeah, they they based those off those uh, those guns. That's cool. So I guess you would say when it comes to pop culture, your go to uh, whether it's a movie, a song, a video magazine, game, video game. What's your go to that involves guns? And it could what's be laser. My, it could be laser guns. <laughs> what's my go to in pop culture for guns? Yeah. yeah. Oh. I don't know, man. Uh, like, like currently, I'm saying like anything. Star Wars. It could probably be Star Wars. It could be. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Three Ten to Yuma. <laughs> no, I, I did. I did like Three Ten to Yuma, the new one, That's because good. it. it uh, I'll tell you what I really liked, man. What I really liked Western. I've always liked Westerns, but what I really liked Three Ten to Yuma was like okay. But I'll tell you what was really good was Appaloosa. Um, Appaloosa. What is that? I, that I remember that. Appaloosa had um, Ed. God, I can't. Forget. It was the guy that played the um, the sniper and he played the German sniper and enemy at the gates. Oh, um, um, Ed Harris. He, he was like a uh, Ed Harris. Ed Harris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, Him, him, and another guy had just gotten out of the. Uh, you know, they did fought in the Civil War, and basically oh. all, all they were good at was gunfighting, and they'd go from town to town and hire on. Yeah. It's like I know exactly what you're talking about. But I, I like that one because the Old West gunfights in that escalated quickly and ended quickly. And that's really the truth of the Old West. There was no, you know, let's stand out in the middle of the street and have a showdown at high noon. Most gunfights happened the way back then, the same way they would happen today. Somebody pulls the, you know, a weapon and somebody else pulls a weapon and a very quick fight ensues and it's over with. I don't um, think I've seen that movie. It's good. It's, it's really got, it's got VGO Mortensen in it, too. It sold. It Vigo? sold me in like, in like the first first three minutes of the movie. Uh, the uh, the marshal rides out to a guy's ranch to arrest one of his guys for whatever charge. I think it was rape or something. And the the ranch owner, who's a you know bad guy in the movie, basically guns down the marshal or the sheriff and his two deputies with a freaking uh, lever action Winchester ninety two. And like, I mean, he's talking to him and then bang the rifles up and he shoots all three of them. And that's that's really um, it was realistic. There was no big showdown. There was no talking beforehand. It was it was a gunfight the way a gunfight really would have happened then. And I I don't know. I guess I've always just enjoyed movies that have um, uh, historical accuracies and particularly firearms accuracies. I can't watch action movies, man, because uh, I think we all know how bad most of the firearms accuracies are in um, uh, <laughs> yeah. in actual action movies. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch. That's that's on my list to watch. I haven't seen that yet. As far as guns that you have or maybe have had in the past, is there anyone that you have that maybe there's a little bitty part of you that's kind of embarrassed to say, "Yeah, I had one of those" or still have one of those? You know, I don't think I have anything in my collection that I'm embarrassed to have. Nor do I. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. I, I'm embarrassed of something my dad has. <laughs> that counts. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, particularly because like his kid's a gunsmith. Guilty my by dad, association. Yeah. Back back. Like right after, I think I think I was in gunsmith school at the time, and my dad was talking about getting, um, you know, I want something that you know interchangeable barrels, and he was talking about getting like an over and under Savage twenty four that you know he could shoot a two twenty three out of and shoot coyotes, or he could, um, you know, put a you know have a shot two twenty three over a four ten or a twenty gauge or something. And I was like, yeah, man, but those Savage twenty fours aren't that good of guns, and the little you know back and forth selector kind of sucks. And, um, so I told him, I was like, man, have you looked at like, maybe like a Thompson center encore or something, something that you could put various different barrels on. And I was just trying to steer him towards a more quality gun. Not that I'm a big fan of the Thompson center encore, but it's better than the Savage 24. And 
you know, I told him, I was like, you can get a pistol, you know, an Encore contender pistol in 223, and you can get, you know, a, a shotgun barrel for it or a muzzleloader barrel. And so he went to Jay's, I think it was Jay's Sporting Goods in uh, Claire, Michigan. That's, he lives up in Michigan. And he called me later that day, and he wanted me to be so proud of him <laughs> and so proud to tell me about this new little what pistol he that he got called a Super Comanche. And it is a crack barrel, single shot pistol, smaller than a Thompson Center uh, contender, and it will fire 410 or 45 long Colt. And this was before, you know, it was post post Thunder 5 being taken off the market in pre-Taurus Judge or Smith & Wesson Governor. So there was no revolver at this point in time that would do both. And the Super Comanche, it's about $160, and that should just say it all for you right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I finally, you know, I went to Pittsburgh, uh, Gunsmith School in Pittsburgh, and I drove up there a few weeks later to, uh, to see him and we went out to, he's got a little private range on his property. We went out there and he pulls out the Super Comanche and the four ends taped on with electrical tape. And I was like, Dad, what, what's going on with that? He's like, oh, man, it popped off the first time and I couldn't get it back on, so I just taped it on. And I was like, so yeah, that out of, out of like the entire gun collection that he has either achieved himself or I have helped him achieve certain things by, um, you know, every Christmas I'll try to score something cool that my mom, you know, find something cool for my mom to get him for Christmas or build him something cool. And so I've, I've really helped, you know, try to help him develop this really awesome gun collection. And he's still hanging on to that Super Comanche. And it's definitely a this a, a gun. Character. It looks like something that would be in Hellboy. <laughs> yeah. Or like Mad Max is like a prop gun. Yeah. It's... Possibly, possibly also held on with electrical tape in Mad Max. Yeah, that would that would definitely suit that movie. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's funny. But yeah, I don't know, man. I've, I've got a Magtech 22. Do you guys remember those? Magtech 22? Mm. Ma- Magtech, like the Brazilian company that makes the ammo and stuff. Uh-huh. Magtech, they made a, um, a little 22 semi-auto that was like, and I say very loosely based off of the Ruger 1022. Um, but they made, they made one of those, and I used to work at a, um, at a place that did warranty work for Magtech, and we had a lot of parts sitting around. And we had guns that had just been basically chalked up to as junk and totaled out. And I took like 12 different guns and harvested enough parts to make one gun out of it and <laughs> took it home. I mean, I want to say they were like $99, 22 automatics. And I've got one in my closet, but it's uh, it's definitely, uh, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't say it's embarrassing because I'm not like glad I had it. It's, I have it. It's kind of cool <laughs> how I put it together myself from a bunch of different guns. But As long as yeah, it works, that, right? It's definitely the opposite of the crown jewel of my collection. Which which is? Probably, I'm not going to say it's the crown jewel, but it's definitely, I've got a, uh, a Bulgarian um, AKS-74U with the original barrel that's a post, um, post-86 dealer sample machine gun. Oh, hell yeah. Um, with, I redid the four, I mean, I built the whole thing from a original D-build kit. And it's not necessarily like, yeah, there's a lot of crinks out there, but there's not a lot of really good looking full auto crinks out there. Yeah. And it's probably one of my favorite guns that I've got. I probably shoot it more than anything else. Is there a gun that you once owned? Want, did I say once? Once. once yeah. We're back to algorithm. <laughs> that you once owned? <laughs> uh, that you would like to get back? Um, yeah, definitely, man. Whoa. There's, um, did, did, did a lightsaber just light up there? What the hell was that? <laughs> like a lightsaber. What on, on my end? Yeah. yeah. It was like, 
Oh, I think like a truck went by next oh, door. That's crazy. Um, no, I do have like one of them really cool movie replica lightsabers though. That like like the legit you know size. It's like the legit size, and it's got the fluorescent tube that lights up. I don't know. It's, oh, cool. I think my mom gave it to me for Christmas when I was like way too old to have a toy lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was probably like thirty when she gave it to me for Christmas. Oh, no, that's not too um, old. Come on. So, uh, no, man, there's been a lot of guns that I, a lot of guns I got rid of out of necessity at certain points in time. Um, there's a, dude, I don't know, man. I've had multiple Springfield M1As over the years. I've had a super match, national match back in the days when, you know, when spring, a Springfield M1A. But is there one that just like, you know, man, I I wish I didn't get rid I wish I had that back now. Right, right this second. (laughs) Nothing just jumps out at you. No, but there's a whole there, there's a there's a uh, 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 a, a STG fifty eight, which is an Austrian or Austrian uh, FAL variant. You there? Did we lose you? Hell Crap. yeah! Yeah, <laughs> bad internet again. <laughs> so you were saying uh, the Austrian? Did you say Austrian? Yeah, I've got a. a it was you know a, it's a STG fifty eight, which was the Austrian variant of the FAL. I had one of those, I just like a cherry parts kit, man. DSA receiver. Um, I had one of those probably, I don't know, probably five or six years ago. Wow. And I had a, I've got, I, I used to have two dogs. I've got one dog now, but I had a um, American Bulldog and a, I've got a pit bull. And when the American Bulldog was still alive, her and the pit bull would just go ape in the backyard. And I've got a fairly big piece of property with a big, big wide chain or chain link fence you know, open area for them. And, uh, there was a, I had a water pipe that was going into the side of the house. that was a PVC water pipe. And somehow those dogs ran into that water pipe and broke it. And if you've ever had the main water line for your house severed, you realize that you can't do anything with water. And also besides shutting off the pump, there's really no good way to shut off the water. And so my yard was flooding and I had to shut off the pump. And I called this dude that I knew that was a plumber and he came over there and fixed the pipe for me. And when he got there, he said, hey, man, I've been really wanting that STG 58 that you've got. And he traded me a Springfield M1A SOCOM for it, which I guess I kind of got the better end of the deal monetarily. But to this day, man, I've been trying to get him to trade me back that, uh, that <laughs> the STG no go, 58. Huh? No, and he, like, gave it to his kid. This kid doesn't want to trade it. And, like, I can build another one or, like, get another one. But I want that one back that's mine just because it was mine. And it was the only gun I ever named. I've never named a gun, but that one. <laughs> what did you name it? It was called the Hayton. The Hayton? Yeah. That's too close to yeah, the last name. Too close to something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, H, like, like Hater. Like HT. Hayton, yeah. Don't be Hayton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, don't be Hayton. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, because it just expelled pure hate from it. That's what it did. And, and you know. Austrians have a long history of hating people, except for they just threw the Germans under the bus real bad in World War II and didn't admit they were part of it. <laughs> they hold so, a grudge. So what about like bucket list gun? Like what is the gun that you just got to have next? No, money is no object. Laws, if you money, had, If you could no pick object. anything in the world, what would you have? Man, that's like, does it have to be a small arm? Or could no, it anything, be anything. Anything. The sky's the limit. No restrictions. You know, I don't know. I'd like to own. Um, I'd like to own like an M48 or an M60 tank, or even like a T72 tank. With an <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> He's going for um, the tank. Yeah. You know so, something. 
something self-propelled, something self-propelled with a direct fire main gun. That would be really cool. But that's just, I'm not going to see that in my lifetime. And if I really did have that kind of money, I would probably just buy more land. So uh, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen. We're dreamers here. We like to dream. You know, I'd really like to have a nice, um, you know, a nice type two or type three milled AK. Um, maybe possibly one of the old, um, uh, the the PLO, the PLO type two or and type three AKs that uh, is Israel captured. There used to be some really cherry parts kits from uh, uh, PLO captures that the Israelis sold, and I'd like to have one of those and build it. That's that's not you know. So not, not the gun of Rambo. <laughs> not the gun of Ram- no the gun of Rambo was trash, dude. I, you know, and I've had a Mag fifty eight and M two forty, so it's like those things are just heavy. You know, it's um, especially when they're gold. Yeah, well, no, the gun of Rambo wasn't gold, dude. Do you know what that gun was? Do you know what the actual gun that that dude had, that little short gold AK, was in Lord of War? It was a freaking Sega. Was it really? It was. <laughs> go, go look at it. It's got a tuck. It's got a cut and tuck trigger conversion on it. And the old fire control holes in the back are still there. It's yeah. a freaking cut cool. and tuck Sega that they gold plated and threw some shit on the front. It's not a crank at all. It's not a 105. It's not a Mahdi or anything. It's a straight up Sega, um, <laughs> which really, really disheartened me. Um, well, they probably did that on purpose because they knew that guy didn't know his gun. So they're like, just freaking Duracoat one gold and give it to him. <laughs> Yeah, there, there you go. I don't know, man. Because like, his character would have done that, you know. I'll tell you what I'd really like to have right now that I think is somewhat obtainable, but I would really like to have a um, you know 1850s um, three-band Enfield rifle or a two-band Enfield rifle with Confederate markings on it. I would really enjoy having a Confederate infantry rifle, but preferably one that was still in shootable condition mm-hmm. so that I could actually take it out and shoot it, in a reena- uh, shoot it blank in a reenactment and shoot it live with like a North South Skirmish Association competition. I think that would be really cool. Nice. You do the live reenactments, don't you? <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I've never, the only reenactment stuff I've ever really done is more from like the technical standpoint of it. I've never really like gotten out there and dressed up and I'm not too, I'm not super into the like living history thing of like, you know, dressing like it 24 seven while you're in camp. Yeah. But yeah. I would, um, you know, I, I don't know. I've got friends that um, are with, I believe it's fifth company, Washington artillery, and they do a lot of uh, reenactments, artillery reenactments. And I enjoyed the civil war era artillery, um, particularly, you know, the uh, 12 pound Napoleon guns and whatnot. That, mm-hmm. that stuff's just really cool. So you have, your company is called Mesa kinetic research. Tell us a little bit about that, how you got started, uh, what all you do. Okay. Um, well, it's not exactly new. It's we're uh, we make uh, three years next month, but, um, uh, Mesa Connect Research is something that it was originally started by me and Jake Guidry uh, after we both left Red Jacket. Um, currently, I'm the only officer in the company, and I've got a couple of guys that work for me. Uh, we all, we have a retail store connected to the same building that's called Kyber Pass Tactical, which is it's just a division of the company that because basically we had a lot of people locally that wanted us to have a little retail store where they could bring in gunsmithing and whatnot. And that was one thing I felt Red Jacket always lacked was the accessibility of the public. Um, I'm not scared of the public. I love the public. The public is where I make my living, and I make my living serving them and them having a relationship with me. So I thought that that was very important for us to have a retail area. So we do have that. 
Um, we do uh, we do produce um, billet AR-15 Gen 4 billet AR-15 lowers. Uh, that's something that that we were big into. We're not we're not really doing it so much anymore, just because the AR-15 markets become so saturated to the point where it was like, why are we trying to keep up with other people doing the same thing everybody else is doing? Let's do something a little different. And years ago, I was big into building precision bolt rifles. We got back into that, doing uh, mainly M40, M40, A1, M40, A3, M40, A4, uh, uh, and A5 variants. Um, you know, 308 sniper rifles and other caliber versions of those. Um, we uh, we do a significant amount with the Kalashnikov platform, which is something that we didn't start out doing, but it was a void that I. Th- felt we could fill where there's a lot of other very quality, not, not a lot, but there's a few other quality companies out there offering high end Kalashnikov builds, um, Krebs and rifle dynamics being a couple of those companies. And I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jim Fuller at rifle dynamics and for Mark Krebs at Krebs. And I didn't want to do the same thing that those guys were doing with AKs and they both, they both got their own styles that they do. And, you know, while we do do some stuff that, you know, at the customer's request mimics the style that they're into, what we're really into doing is doing classic Kalashnikov builds that look better than what they look the way you want an original Kalashnikov to look, not the way that they actually looked in real life. For example, you know, you look at an AKS-74 and you pick up an actual real Russian one. And the finish isn't that nice on it. The rivets aren't always that nice on it. The wood's not that nice on it. And so if you can take that rifle and you can take it, you know, AK-74 parts kit and a triangle side folding stock and build that on a quality receiver using a quality U.S. heat-treated receiver, um, using quality uh, rivets with the uh, correct uh, lead content, and you can build everything in-house in small boutique batches, not big production line thing, but one or, you know, one to five guns at a time and finish it with a high-end finish like a uh, Cerakote uh, H-series finish, I think you can achieve something that looks much better and feels much better and shoots much better than the original thing that you were setting out to replicate. And it's basically what we all wanted those rifles to look like in our thoughts. It just wasn't what they really looked like the first time we picked them up. So we decided to to build rifles like that. And, you know, a lot of people pick up my AKS-74U and they're like, damn, dude, what kind of wood is this on there? I'm like, that was just crappy Bulgarian wood that was painted brown. And I stripped it down and did a colonial maple stain on it and did a, um, you know, a build-up uh, hand-rubbed oil finish on it. And we do a lot of hand-rubbed oil finish on our front wood. Granted, that is not historically correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sh- uh, shellac and lacquer finishes – Lay down with a brush was historically correct, but we're not setting out to make things historically correct. We're setting out to make them at a glance look historically correct and up close look better than historically correct and smoother and nicer. And the way things would have been made if they'd been made in small batches by gunsmiths that cared about putting out a really good looking and good feeling firearm instead of being stamped out in the Ismash arsenal one after another after another by, you know, socialist workers that it didn't they got paid the same amount no matter how well they finished that wood right uh so we really got into that market a whole lot and we um uh we also work i I do a fair amount of work with uh third-party companies uh consulting work consulting them on uh, new products they're bringing to market helping them find solutions with products that they have 
uh, testing and evaluating some of their products. Uh, some, you know, we've had companies just send me stuff. Hey, take this out, shoot it. Tell me what, what can be better about this. And I'll, sometimes I'll do the work on it, the improvements myself. And sometimes they just want to pay for the advice and I'll tell them this is what you need to do. Um, and give them, give them pointers. They pay me for their time and they, they make the improvements themselves. So there's definitely a lot of behind the scenes stuff, uh, with other companies that a lot of it I can't actually talk about because I do have non-disclosure agreements with all of those companies so that I'm not blabbing their secrets around on internet radio yeah. interviews. Now you also uh, do some classes, right? What's that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We do, we do, um, I'm sorry. I totally forgot about that. Well, I was going to get into the tr- uh, training company as well, but, uh, okay, Mace no, you, still you, actually. Dude, keep keep talking. I don't want to throw <laughs> you, you off. You do your thing. Well, I, I do I'm know just, one. I'm co- just throwing you softball pitches, brother. I do know <laughs> one company that you can talk about the stuff that you're doing with. You're gonna be like a, a freaking professor slash writer of AK material here soon. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I didn't want to start like plugging that because I didn't know if that was under any kind of non-disclosure. But you can go you can go ahead and give a little bit of a um, we'll give a teaser. Uh, yeah, go ahead and give a little bit of background on that, and then I'll uh, I can add some stuff to it if you want. So, as a lot of y'all know, with Sonoran Desert Institute, it's a online gunsmithing school, and we're trying to take this to a level that nobody's ever seen in the industry. We want it? We want it to be all encompassing, every gun, to where you really can learn as much as you possibly can from distance learning environment. And one of the guns we needed to find some content on was the AK. And Mr. Buckles here is going to be helping us out with that. Professor Buckles, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, man. Like, I didn't even finish real I like college. Professor so. V better. Yeah, I, I don't know. The the quote Doc, unquote, Doc, Doc Vince. I just want to go to back to my gunsmith school and wear the goofy little blue like lab coat that all the <laughs> professors there wear. Nice. And they, dress, they, they dress like like the English gunsmiths. You know, like when the tea bags work on guns, they wear lab coats. That's some weird. <laughs> I'm not even into the apron thing unless I'm working with like a caustic chemical, dude. Just wear a t-shirt and freaking work pants and then like wash your clothes when you get home. That's like, (laughs) I never understood the need for extra protective gear that could get caught in like a lather or a mill. I'm kind of a minimalist when it comes to uh, anything that could suck me into a piece of equipment. But But, um, it's kind of weird. They're so protective over like clothing and stuff like that, but then they don't brush their damn teeth. So I don't know. Are, are yeah. you stereotyping somebody now? Are we, d- d- what? what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I, I don't know, man. I think it's okay to stereotype the British to some extent because, like, we as a country, like, we're British at one point in time. So, so we're stereotyping know, ourselves. The Aussies give Brit- Britain crap all the time. Why can't we, dude? They don't brush their teeth. It's like we're they? busting on our British. granddad. It's terrible. But anyway, um, yes. <laughs> Alan's sitting there going, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, your editor is going to love me. Um, no, uh, we're, uh, I'm currently working on the um, uh, the curriculum for the AK build module for uh, Sonoran Desert Institute's gunsmithing program. And that's about as far as I can go with it, other than the fact that those that are involved in their gunsmithing program uh, next year sometime will have access to that mo- build module. And uh, that will Me. be a, I don't know, is that a package that they have to purchase separately or is that accessible to any student that joins the program? It's going to be option for their senior project in the full program. And you and can also, lit upgrade. and you can also purchase the build module separate too. Like gotcha. A, okay, cool, cool. Wait, so to, um, to plug some of my other educational endeavors other than that, I do have to go here in a minute. Um, we've probably got about five minutes here and then I got to go uh, close up shop. But um, 
We do. Uh, Mesa does offer about th- currently we're, we've done three classes this year. We've got another one coming up in um, Carpet- Carpentersville, Illinois, in December, and in, um, next year we've got at least one on the schedule in Louisiana. We do do a, a two-day AK build classes, which basically um, consists of building from a already um, serial numbered and heat treated um, Nodex Bud or 74 ULLC receiver. But uh, going through and spotting your trunnion holes, riveting your trigger guard and your selector stop properly, which is a uh, big thing because the trigger guard on the AK is also the magazine latch all in the same housing. And there is a rather violent um, extraction of the magazine when you do quick mag changes on the Kalashnikov platform. Um, Basically, uh, spotting your front and rear trunnion holes, head spacing your barrel, installing your barrel pin, um, polishing and smoothing the TAPCO G2 fire control group. Uh, proper assembly and disassembly techniques, and we do brush over um, finishes. Although uh, to teach a class on sprayed sprayed on and baked down finishes would kind of be a class unto itself. Uh, but basically, you know, it's a two day class that uh, you you leave. You don't necessarily leave with it. Oftentimes, if you're out of state, it'll get shipped to your FFL in your state. But you have a completed uh, rifle at the end of the class that you do get to keep uh, after the class, and that is included in the tuition. And then the next one coming up is in Carpentersville, Illinois, December 6th and 7th, and it's sponsored by Circle10AK.com. Uh, so if you go check out their website, there are a bunch of good guys up there in Illinois that do a lot with the Kalashnikov platform. And con- uh, contrary to popular belief, you actually can own an AK in Illinois. It's just not in the county that Chicago is situated in. So there is actually some decent uh, semi-automatic rifle freedom still happening in that state. Cool. And we'll be doing our part to bring some new Kalashnikovs into the world in their state. So if people want to find out more about Mesa Kinetic, uh, what's your website, social media, all that stuff? Um, the, the website is mesakineticresearch.com. Uh, it is sorely outdated, and I need to get on that and get some good updates on there. But the best way to follow us as a company would you be follow us on Facebook? It's Mesa Kinetic Research LLC on Facebook. Um, the our retail store is Kyber Pass Tactical on Facebook. But that's really you know if you're looking for if you're in the area if you live in the Greater Baton Rouge area and you're looking for you know something retail local follow that. If you want to follow our builds our custom stuff on the national level, uh, Mesa Kinetic Research LLC on Facebook. If you want to follow uh, my personal freaking day-to-day pictures of builds or whatever other crap I feel like taking pictures of, it's Vincent Puckles on Instagram. And selfies. W- <laughs> w- I don't do too many selfies. Well, dude. I, I saw one, one a couple days ago. Or your wife's builds. <laughs> I, I did one sitting on the outhouse at my parents' place in Michigan because I had to post a selfie to that website where it's like selfies on the John. And, like, everybody's got on regular toilets. And I was like, dude, I'm doing one in a legit Amish-built outhouse. Nice. Um, That's a nice birthday present uh, that your really, wife got, it, by the way. Yeah, it really is, man. And uh, the outhouse or the picture? No, the the your wife's birthday present. That's a nice nice present she uh, built herself. Oh, 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 the nice birthday present. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah. She, well, she came in and she built that. She wanted to come to our last class and build a 74. And she's but, got my favorite album T-shirt on. 
Oh my you, gosh, she's. You awesome. know, I, dude, I, I I traded that freaking that there was a homeless guy about ten years ago that had that shirt on. <laughs> no way. And he wanted some cigarettes, and I gave him. I told him I was like, dude, I'll trade you like a pack of smokes if you give me that shirt. And he gave it to me, and that, that's like a legit '80s vintage Ride the Lightning T-shirt. Metallica you know, so Lightning. I helped the homeless, and he helped me with my vintage metal T-shirt collection at the same time. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, um, and uh, www.vincentbuckles.com. That is a blog site that I do through All Hunt, and it's got. If you'd like to follow some of my somewhat more extreme political ideas about the secession of the Southern states from the Union, or if you just want to read about a hog hunt that I went on, or um, other random freaking essays from my life, you can check that out. I'm going to be updating it more often. Uh, I do uh, do talk a lot about politics, and um, you know, it's it's pretty much widely known that I'm a constitutional uh, libertarian. And that I do believe in the rights of states to secede if they don't see fit with the way the federal system's going. Um, so yes, I am controversial in that, but uh, you know, I do uh, I do feel strongly about it. And I think there's a lot of other people in this country that feel strongly about it as well, and feel that the uh, the uh, the government is not taking this country in the direction that the people would like it to go. So you can definitely check out some of my political writings and ramblings there. And that's but, uh, VincentBuckles.com. It's vincentbuckles.com. Okay, cool. Well, we know you got to close up. Uh, let's thank our sponsors, and then we'll wrap everything up and then go from there. Or were you going to say some more about that? Oh, I'm good, dude. You can thank your sponsors. Okay, I didn't want to cut you off. <laughs> so we'd like to thank our sponsors, ICE Training, icetraining.us. Holder and Green Professional Real Estate Services, HG Press. Get in touch with those gun-friendly whatevers. Real estate agents? Yeah. <laughs> I just lost all train of thought. What's their number? Um, one eight hundred six one five eighteen forty extension two 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 two. Especially if you're a veteran, they can help you secure VA loans. Yep. Also, our bandwidth sponsor, Shenoran Desert Institute, SDI.edu. Go there if you want to become a gunsmith. I do. I do. <laughs> you are going there. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I'm, I've got my first build under my belt too. Nice. So do you. Yep. I'm looking forward to the next one. Also, All or Nothing Tattoo Studios, allornothingtattoo.com, and their very gun-friendly merchandise store, strangleholdmerch.com. Cantu Bruner Designs. Cantu Bruner Designs. They make uh, the bullet pins that we talk about, and Mm -hmm. you see uh, on our Facebook page and uh, in some of the videos. And uh, HG Press, I know for a fact, uses those pins when they sign those big real estate deals. And Savoie Leather, our good buddy Jeremiah up in Oklahoma. Fellow Cajun of yours, SavoyLeather.com, spelt Savoy. Vince? No, it's, it's, it's not spelt Savoy, it's spelt Savoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to dumb it down a little bit. <laughs> spelt Savoy, Savoy, S-A-V-O-Y. <laughs> okay, I'm sitting in the Acadian parishes in Louisiana right now. I assure you that's spelt Savoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in Tennessee, it's spelt Savoy. <laughs> 1776 United for our T-shirts, 1776united.com. And Vince, man, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. All right, thank you all, man. Y'all have a good one. And as always, left hand, keep your loved ones close. Oh, wait, we're doing this right now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And your Kalashnikov closer. Yeah.